Hello, hello, my dear audience. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. Thank you very much to all those who send emails to me. Some had uh, not only questions, but very sweet words. I want you to know how much I appreciate your emails. And a little disclosure. I want you to write not only because I welcome questions, that is caring about you. There is also a selfish reason on my part. I have been seeing clients and doing workshops and teaching courses for decades. But that is all with people that I can look in their eyes, uh, in their eyes, I can have contact with. But with this radio show, I'm still not used to, I don't see people I talk to. I know thousands of people listen to me. That's what they tell me at the studio. But I don't see them. I don't hear them. So to get people's letters makes it all real. So thank you again. I want to remind those who would like to write to me and don't have my address yet. My email address is drpeterresnik at gmail.com. And also, if you want to call me during this show with your comments or questions, you can do this as well. The number is 888-874-4888. Um, Again, 888-874-4888. Last week, I had an interview with Madame Marion Blick, who is a French psychologist and healer who has been practicing some very interesting techniques in France and here in the United States. We spoke about her book on how we form attachments and how to recognize them uh, and, and utilize them to better our relationships. Uh, and it is posted on PR and in archives. And next week, I know I usually tell you about what happens next week, but this time I'm not sure. I'm trying to get someone for an interview but it may or may not work. If it doesn't work, then next week I will be talking and I will, I will think I will talk about um, something new. I will talk about the science and art of face reading or human morphology. But today I will continue the journey we started on February 23rd when I spoke um, about the program I introduced the program Six Pillars of Well-Being, which is based on my upcoming books, Six Pillars of Well-Being. So far, we covered uh, the pillar of physical reality, the pillar of thoughts, feelings, and self-talk, the pillar of social conditioning, and the pillar of unconscious beliefs and attitudes. And two weeks ago, I started working on the fifth pillar, our conscious beliefs and attitudes. And I spoke about the 13 challenges within uh, this pillar, uh, the, the guilt. I covered, I think, only one. If you missed that class or, or any of those classes and get interested now, you can download them from the beginning, from February 23rd, uh, from PR, PRN site, um, shows and schedule and find my show Tuesday uh, 2 p.m. 
Uh, I hope those who discovered that they did live with the challenge of guilt that we discussed uh, two weeks ago worked on it during these two weeks. Again, if you worked on guilt and have any questions regarding the work you did, just write to me or you can call today. I will stop what I'm talking about and do it. And don't think some people actually wrote to me, they feel shy calling because they say they don't want to take time away from everybody. No, no, no. Everybody benefits. You will benefit and everybody will benefit um, from hearing what I have to say. That's how you learn how to deal with issues when you hear how other people deal with them. As I already said, in order to work on any other issue, one must first deal with guilt. So that's why I covered guilt first. It is such a debilitating issue that a person who lives in guilt or with guilt hardly has any energy to work on anything else. But we have a lot of other issues to deal with ahead of us. I will remind you, I have identified 13 attitudes or 13 additional um, um, challenges we face that make our climb up the ladder of self-mastery extremely difficult. Some of us have to deal with a few of those challenges and some more than few. These challenges are guilt, judgment, arrogance, jealousy, expectations, worry, anger, doubt, ingratitude, vanity, greed, apathy, and denial. So today we'll work on judgment and arrogance, and possibly if we have enough time, jealousy as well. As I talk, um, if you have any questions, again, please call me. I will be happy to, to hear you out and to try to answer your questions. But before we go to that subject, I want to tell you something about stress. I do remember three or four months ago, I spent a whole hour talking about stress. Um, let it be a little refresher because stress is such a huge issue. You know that 85% of all visits to primary care physicians are stress-related. And so many studies demonstrate, studies from around the world, that stress, even though it may be not the only cause of physical illnesses, but it's always a component or always one of the major contributing factors to any illness. But actually, I want to show, share with you with a personal experience uh, of stress. Just yesterday, something happened. I was supposed to uh, talk to uh, Gary Noll is doing a workshop, um, a week-long workshop, and he called me uh, bef a week before and said, Peter, you know how he talks. Uh, I want you to give a talk during my workshop. And I said, fine, and we scheduled it for tomorrow, uh, for yesterday. And, you know, I, I, I will, it's um, through Skype. Um, there were 60 people there, and they will see me. So I'm even dressed up to welcome people into my living room, uh, from which I am talking to you right now. I'm not in the studio talking from my home. Uh, 
And I prepared my computer, guess what? Seven minutes before uh, I was supposed to go on the air, suddenly my screen froze. Nothing, nothing moves. I, maybe I press something. You know, I'm a little bit, my daughter says, technologically disadvantaged. Uh, she's trying to coach me. Uh, it's the screen, screen froze. And I'm trying to do, you know, that nasty little circle, that colored circle, which begins to spin and nothing is moving except that circle completely. And I, it's seven minutes, you know. So I'm trying to do something. I try to restart the computer. I restart the same thing. The computer is completely shut down. Now my heart is beginning to pound. I will tell you a little later, and that's why I'm sharing with you how I dealt with it. But let's think first how it would happen with a person who is, doesn't have the tools that I have. A person begins to panic. What happens at that moment? I already told you, the heart rate increased. I heard, I heard my heart pounding. A person who doesn't have the tools suddenly will begin to go, oh God, what is happening? And at that moment, the brain produces norepinephrine. Norepinephrine is a hormone that actually stimulates uh, your whole system. Your heart rate increases, uh, digestion slows down. It's a kind of a flight or flight response. And so when a person in a situation like that, what do they need? Like I was in front of the computer that is not working and seven minutes, now already six minutes are left because one minute took to reload, restart the computer and it's not restarting. So what happens is a person is anxious and norepinephrine is flowing and they need to be creative. They need to find a way to resolve the problem. And guess what? It cannot happen because we have in our brain this little segment called locus cerealis. And locus cerealis is re responsible for creativity. In fact, the, the brain scans show when a person is being creative, thinks creatively, locus cerealis is glowing in blue color. But when norepinephrine is flowing, which means when a person is stressed, locus cerealis is totally shut down. So a person needs to find a solution because a person is anxious, something is not working out, and that anxiety shuts down the very thing that is necessary to resolve the problem. And so then there is a brain freeze. There is no way to resolve the situation. But let me tell you what happened. So my heart is pounding. Now it's only six minutes left. And I slowly, as I taught you, and I'm reminding now, breathe out. Long exhalation. Remember, you exhale first because then you stimulate parasympathetic nervous system. You activate a nerve called, it's actually called quieting nerve, vagus, which goes from medulla, from your brain, to your heart, lungs, and stomach. So I breathe out very slowly, breathe in normally, breathe out slowly. And I quickly identified the number. That's what I taught you when I spoke about stress reduction. Number of the, the uh, level of the stress on a scale from one to 10. As I breathed out, I saw it was nine. So I breathed out again slowly and then in 
slowly and in, and I saw it going eight, seven. By the way, the time is ticking. And once it went down to six, which probably uh, took me another minute, I suddenly had a thought. Uh, I can do two things. That's already creative thinking. That's already searching. Two things. I can download um, Skype on my cell phone and work through the cell phone. Oh, and then immediately I kind of thought maybe that will take too long, too much time. And then I remember that I had a, I had a computer and my old computer that I haven't used for five years. And it's probably uh, out of power, but I can, I know exactly where it is. I know the charger. It's a different charger from the one which I use here. And I can go and see if I can restart that computer. And I went and I continued breathing. And I uh, plugged in the computer and it's restarted. And, you know, it was 30 seconds before the beginning of my scheduled talk when everything was set. Uh, but I am telling you, if there would be this panic, if the norepinephrine would be domineering and, and creativity would not come, I would not even think about that computer. That's what happens with panic. So uh, I use this opportunity to remind you how to deal with stress. Um, so, but also, I think while I was doing this, I had also used the, the three steps that I also taught you of what to do, what you do when you are in a situation of stress. That is first, you think of the worst possible outcome. Why not the best? Because you cannot ignore the worst is staring in your face. You think about the worst and I thought, well, I, I, the worst is I'm not, nobody's going to die. Uh, this, the, the workshop will not end. Gary Noll is a very brilliant person. He will do quite well without me. And then I will explain to me to him um, what, what happened. So the first question, you say, what's the worst that can happen? And then the second step, you resign to live with it. And once you do that, there is no fear now. There is no anxiety about what will happen. You already decided. And then you do the best you can to address the situation. So I think that's what happened. I studied the breathing. Uh, I, I think I went through these steps and it takes all seconds. And then, uh, and then I believe locus aurelius kicked in and I started thinking about these creative ways to resolve it. And as I said, so in the remaining five and a half minutes, I actually did it. It was fine. So it's something as <laughs> maybe I'm in the mood of show and tell. I want to show you something else, and it's not related to <clears throat> to stress, but it is related actually to six pillars of well-being because we were talking about the first pillar that's physical environment, and part of it was what you eat. So I wanted to share with you something. The other day I had a friend. <clears throat> who who visited me and uh, she brought some 
goodies and brought in uh, organic banana spread. And, you know, I, I use, uh, eat a very healthy food, mostly They're all organic and, and uh, mostly it's a plant-based diet. Um, so this morning, after I had my nice breakfast, I decided, oh, let me look, uh, let me taste this uh, little banana spread. I had a little cracker and put banana spread on it. And remember, I have, I don't have, I'm quite, thank God, healthy. And I don't have allergies. I don't, I, I don't have uh, any, any problems with food. Uh, never had any special super reaction. So I'm kind of not expecting anything. And once I had that banana spread, after after ten minutes, I started my mind started feeling like fuzzy. I think, what, what did I do? What did I, I eat? Usually the same, pretty much the same <laughs> breakfast, a nice fruit uh, or vegetable salad, and then maybe an, an egg. Uh, so, and then I thought of a banana spread, and I looked at organic, and then I turn around and I look at the ingredients. My God, citric acid, uh, that acid, this so much garbage. I'm sorry. I hope I hope my friend is not listening to this show. Uh, I'm sure she did not intend to give something like this. But yes, it was written organic. But what I'm telling you, please do read the ingredients. I'm telling you. So if I sound a little bit kind of uh, out of it, uh, forgive me, because my mind is still not clear. Uh, you know, I finished my breakfast at 11 o'clock, at 10.30. So it's still my mind is a little blurry, because there was so much, so much. So you always have to look, not just that it's organic, or it's, it's something that you would normally eat, but if it is in any container, you have to look at what the ingredients, what they add to whatever organic they offer you. Anyway, now finally we go back to what we're dis discussing. So the, the challenges we spoke about, the three challenges we'll try to cover today, uh, uh, judgment, uh, arrogance, and possibly jealousy. Now judgment, virtually every Spiritual tradition, in one way or another, teaches us judge not, do not judge, do not judge. Why not to judge? We definitely need to know right from wrong. We need to evaluate our thoughts, consequences of our actions. Yes, that is absolutely true. Observe and evaluate, yes, judge, no. We'll look at, let's look at them both. But let's first, before we look at them, let me first talk to you about what spiritual traditions teach about judgment. That is the wisdom of millennia. What is the wisdom of millennia teaches us? For example, the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, the, Jesus says, the wind blows where it wills. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it's going. And so is with everyone born of the Spirit. I hope I quoted exactly. I think I did. So now let's think about it. Of course, when um, he so says the wind, he doesn't mean an environmental wind. 
um, because the word in Hebrew, the word for wind is ruach, ruach is spirit. Basically, he's saying the spirit comes and the spirit goes into this physical reality. But you don't really know where he's coming from and where he's going. So you do cannot, you cannot know what motivates this person or that person. Do not judge them because you really don't know who they are. I have a favorite story I tell people. Uh, let me tell you this. Just imagine for a moment, it will be kind of a quiz. It will start with a quiz. Think about a guy named Steve. And he just donated uh, uh, $100,000. And think about a guy called John. He just stole, he actually got into someone's house and stole $100. Now, who is growing and who is going down? You tell me. Of course, you understand it's a rhetorical question. Uh, obviously, it's a setup, and, and I know logically uh, people would think, oh, of course, the guy who gave $100,000 is a good guy, and the one who stole uh, $100 is a bad guy, but you know that that it is not true, that I want to say something opposite, that we really do not know. Now let's look at the same guys from from far, as if we know their past. That is like God's perspective. So if you look now at Steve, when you know the whole story, Steve just last year inherited the, his family business, and they make hundreds of millions of dollars. And his father and his grandfather always donated at a certain, at a certain time a million or let's say $5 million. And this time, Steve, finally, he's the owner. He examines uh, the donation, said, no, 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 this is too much. And he cuts the donation. He gives 100000 right? So is he growing? or he's inherited all this money and he's following the greedy impulse. Now let's look at Steve. Steve actually was a, a killer for hire. He was a murderer. And at certain time, he had a, a beautiful moment connected with his childhood, connected maybe with God. He still needs to eat, but he gave up. He decided he will no longer do the jobs for which uh, they paid a lot of money, but he needs to support himself. He has no skills and he started breaking into people's houses. So in one house he breaks in because he saw maybe window open or, or whatever. He gets into the house and he sees inside there is poverty, poverty, everything is old. And on the table, there is a bill that people need to pay and there are $200 in cash. And he looks at it and he sees the bill and, and he cannot take $200. And he takes only 100 Now let's look at these two people. Who is growing and who is deteriorating? You see? Yeah, but this is a, a story that tells you we do not know. We really don't know who is who. So how can we judge? All we can do is say, 
this is a person who is acting, this is his story. We'll talk later about how not to make it your story, but it's a whole different issue. But since we do not know this person, how can we judge? Uh, you know, Robin Williams said a beautiful, beautiful thing just before he died. Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Be kind always. In truth, people are fighting their battles. People have their past experiences from this life or another. So do not judge them. In fact, we have, I, I quoted Jesus to you, but one more example that goes even further back. Uh, 1800 years before Jesus, there is this, again from the Bible, Moses is in the mountains. Remember, he is with his flock, not his flock, but his father-in-law's Ethro's flock. Uh, and suddenly he sees the burning bush. Um, and of course, the burning bush is, is burning, but is not consumed. The whole story, you know, from the Bible. And suddenly the bush is talking to him and says, I'm God, uh, God of your fathers, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want you to go and get my people out and the whole story. And at one point, Moses is saying, okay, you know, I'm, I'm stuttering, I'm tongue-tied, tongue uh, and how will people trust me, at least tell me what is your name, how I will introduce myself and you, you are sending me, what's your name? And if you remember, the answer comes, it's mistranslated. If you read the English text, it's written, I am that I am. And in fact, there are people who give all lectures on this idea, I am that I am. It's totally incorrect translation. If you read the King James translation, there are many, many mistranslations from Hebrew, and this is one of them. There is no verb to be in Hebrew language in present tense, so it could not be I am that I am. Actually means I will be that I will be. Now it's even more confusing. If I will be, that I will be in the future, who is talking to Moses? That's the, that's the beauty of it. What God is saying, uh, I will be that I will be, meaning I am that which is in the process of becoming. I am not static. I am not fixed. In fact, contemporary physics is telling just that. If you think about the universe, God's creation, it is constantly in the process of becoming. Quantum physicists are talking to us about this. You know, if you look under the microscope, you know, you, you see molecules, atoms. And then what do you see? Quantums. There is 10 to 100 million quantums in each atom. And the space between them is like proportional to the space between the moon and the earth. So they are in tremendous distance, little quantums, which are not even particles, but little fluctuations of energy. They are waves. So imagine absolutely empty space with here and there little sparks of light, which are intelligent. And again, a number of physicists now say that 
this all these quantums, all these sparks of light are actually intelligent. Uh, there is a wonderful book by Amit Gatswami, Indian uh, physicist, a theoretical physicist who wrote a book, Self-Aware Universe, or our American uh, friend, theoretical physicist, Fred Allen Wolf, who wrote Spiritual Universe and many other books. So they're all saying that this universe is self-aware. This universe is a thinking universe. And it's in a constant process of becoming. It's in constant motion. So when God says, I will be that I would be, that's a very accurate um, answer according to science. I should probably, <laughs> not probably not so respectful, I should say, the science is confirming God, not God is confirming the science. So, and we are in image and likeness of God, remember 26th verse of the first chapter of Genesis is saying, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So we are in image and likeness of that creative power, that creative process. So we're in the constant process of becoming. So this person that you see that you're trying to judge or yourself, you are in the process of becoming. How can you judge? You could not be who you are this moment without having been yesterday a different person or a year ago. Uh, so you are always appropriate, 100%. You know, there is an expression, I think in English, nobody is perfect. Everybody is perfect. That is perfectly corresponding to who he or she is at that moment. And if the next moment you make a different choice, you are that kind of a person. But what happens when you judge yourself or others? Let's talk about it. Uh, because we do indeed need to evaluate our thoughts and consequences of our actions in order all to see that right from wrong. That is absolutely true. Uh, but observing the fact is different than, than judging. We may evaluate consequences as satisfying when we're evaluating them, or if they're not satisfying, we may decide to look for alternative ways of thinking or acting in order to bring about different, more desirable consequences. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, it's my favorite example. Suppose you run the red light, and as a result, you almost cause an accident. Maybe you maybe almost hit somebody or, or whatever happened. You did not intend to run, run the red light. It just happened. And then you, you drove already away. And your hands are shaking. You're sweating. Uh, then you come down, and you begin to think about what happened. So you evaluate the situation. Let's think about um, evaluating and observing. You uh, you come down, hopefully, through the technique of breathing out slowly, breathing in normal, and you evaluate the experience and uh, decide that perhaps you must not talk on the phone or you must be more attentive. You make decisions based on the experience that you observed. Now let's look what happens when you judge, when you don't just observe and make decisions as a, as a result of an observation, but you really judge yourself. 
So here you are, you just ran the red light. Your first thought is, look what I've done. I could have killed this person. How could I be so reckless? Where is my head? They should lock me up and throw away the key. This, this avalanche of self-criticism does not make you a better driver. Chances are because your mind is still on that intersection, still going through that experience. You stop paying attention to the now. And there is a possibility that, that you may make another accident or make another mistake. And if this happens, your self-criticism will be reinforced even more. But your driving will not improve at all. Take another example. You witness some injustice. Perhaps it's injustice of some big proportions. There is a lot of stuff going on now in America and in the world. Uh, or it's something local happening right in front of you. You think, how can that be? Why is it happening? It's terrible. It's horrific. You go on and go on getting more upset and more tense. You feel that outrage is justified. Uh, it's called self-righteous indignation, I call it. Your fists are clenched. Your mind is racing. Your body is aching. Think about the effects of your anger, your mental, emotional, and physical state. Think what happens. You have less ability to constructively address the situation. Now I would like you to consider an alternative way of responding. You can remind yourself that life is, and people are. Life is and people are, not the way you wish them to be, but the way they are. Why, for example, people shouldn't hate you because you're black or because you're white, or because you're green, because you're yellow, because you're too smart, because they think you're too stupid. That's them. That's their story. Don't make it your story. Why should people not act in the way that seems to you appalling or nonsensical? Perhaps they grew up in a different environment, maybe in a different uh, with a different value system, different teachers, different parents. Perhaps if you were like them and had all their experiences, you would act the same way. You, I give, I gave one time example, an example to my students, and I said, "Look, imagine now I we were in my office. Imagine now somebody opens the door." And it's a terrorist with a, whatever it's called, explosive belt. I would have no hesitation killing this person. You know, some people are pacifists and would rather die than hurt somebody else. I'm not one of them. I believe somebody wants to kill you. You have right uh, to, to preempt it by killing the other person. Hopefully injure a person, not to kill. But if necessary, kill as well. By the way, this is another mistranslation from the Bible. <laughs> you know, in the Bible, again, King James translation, they, as uh, six commandments says, they shall not kill. Absolutely, it's not wrong. Lo tzich six commandments. Lo tzich does not mean they shall not kill. It means they shall not murder. That is, do not 
do premeditative murder. Do not take someone's life, planning it. But if your life is threatened, of course you kill. That's why, you know, I believe if, if one country has weapons and says, I want to destroy the other country, that other country has absolutely right to fight back, to even to do a preemptive strike. Because if people have the means and they say, the government says, we will do it, not people on the street, but we will do it. No, yes. So going back to my story, I said, if a person would come in with a suicide belt, if I had an opportunity, if I would be close to this person, I serve the military, I would not hesitate killing this person. But I would have no anger against this person. Absolutely. I know this. Why? Because it's, it's sad. Probably it would be more than likely a young person who, who is, you know, brainwashed. And if, again, I, I understand if I would be him, if I had his life experiences, I would want to do the same thing. So I have nothing against him. In fact, he may have uh, relatives, people who love him, and they will grieve. And I, I'm sorry to cause grief to other people. He would be, if I would kill him, he probably would be over. You know, he, I probably would do him a favor to his soul because I believe in the existence of a soul, and I would stop him from killing other people. So I don't feel sorry for him, but I don't have anger toward him. In fact, I feel sorry for those who, who will miss him. You can protect yourself. You can do anything. You have absolutely right to do everything you can to protect yourself. That is the same thing. This I gave you an extreme example. But if you're in a situation where somebody is behaving in an offensive way, just remember, don't make it your story. This person has reasons to behave this way. Remove yourself from this situation. You don't need to judge this person. You say this person is uh, having a problem. It's his issue. Some people are invalids. Invalids to what? Maybe to invalids to seeing the beauty of life. They are full of hate. They don't see good that is happening. All they see is what is bad. Or they see they're stuck on the past. They cannot see the present. They cannot see your smiling face. Or anybody else's smiling face. They are full of rage. You cannot maybe change them. You may want these people to be different. You may think about what you can do to help them understand your viewpoint. And finally, you may decide to take steps to initiate change or to resolve the problem. But by judging, you run the risk of imprisoning yourself in a countless cycle of anger, frustration, and apathy all elements of stress, all of which can lead to physical illness. Judgment impairs more than uh, your emotions. Remember, I, I told you in my situation, uh, stress. Uh, judgment also could produces this anger or stress, and, and then norepinephrine is flowing in your brain, and then it shuts down, as I said, locus cerealis. So if you judge yourself, there is no way uh, that you can find a different way uh, 
for which you're actually judging yourself. Because there is no creative way to do it because local serial is, uh, is shut down. How many times have you promised yourself you would not reach for that cookie or light up a cigarette or raise your voice with your spouse or children and yet you find yourself doing this over and over again? Judgment paralyzes our creativity and inhibits our ability to react in more positive ways. Judgment breeds such negative emotions uh, or feelings uh, as anger, fear, guilt, remorse. It jeopardizes your total well-being. All right. Now that we consider the effects of judging, why don't we simply stop being judgmental? You can write to me, oh, Peter, you are right. I decided not to judge anymore. No, unfortunately, just because we understand the concept, long-term behavior does not automatically disappear. Remember, in order to disown, these are the words of uh, Dr. Gerald Epstein, you, you cannot disown what you don't own. That is, we must become aware of our self-judging, acknowledge and accept the tendency without judging ourselves for having this judgment. So here is your assignment. If you, if you want to, to try to, if you, if you decide that you actually are a person who, who judges, um, then you may choose to practice. Remember, anything that I share with you, please remember anything I tell you, don't trust me. Don't trust a word of what I say. Nothing of what I say has any value unless it is true to you. But the only way you will know whether what I share with you is true or not is if you give it a try. So otherwise, uh, you don't know really whether it's useful or not. By the way, if you look up um, into Webster's Dictionary, the word knowledge means understanding gained through experience. Understanding gained through experience. You are listening to me, so you, I'm sure you're understanding what I'm saying, but you don't have the knowledge about what I say. You only have understanding. And the way you will know is if you take what I share with you and have experience with it. So, so here is the assignment for you, for those who want to, to participate, who, who want to work on judgment. Anytime you pass a judgment upon yourself or someone else, you say to yourself, here goes and say your name, judging. In my case, I would say, here goes Peter, judging. That's all, not here I go again or stop judging. No, just here goes X, judging. It is important that you do not try to stop yourself from judging. Uh, you only notice, acknowledge, and move on. It sounds like it's a lot of work, but it's fun if you don't, <laughs> if you don't judge yourself for judging. But by the way, if you happen, if you find that being true, if you, you know, 
notice that you are judging, but you're noticing it with strength and you, you're judgmental. Then you say, here you go, and you let's say you're saying, here, I say, here goes Peter judging again. Then I have to say, here goes Peter judging himself for judging. And eventually, I, then you may say, here goes Peter judging himself for judging himself for judging. That's okay. That's okay. Okay, we cover judgment. It goes slowly. Uh, let's move now. Now I, I'm looking at the clock. We need to cover at least arrogance. Cambridge uh, English Dictionary defines arrogance as assumption that one's self-worth is far superior to others. It is very close to pride, which refers to inflated sense of one's personal importance, status, or accomplishments. Um, so let's think about uh, arrogance. It is really an inflated ego. I have to make a note here uh, that in this discussion and those yet to come, on the subject of conscious beliefs and attitudes, I will not talk about the origins of arrogance or any other challenge for that matter, because it is, I believe, a futile endeavor. Just like any psychotherapeutic process directed toward discovering where mental and emotional problems come from. I know there is a whole field of introspective psychology uh, and I heard like psychoanalysis, for example, I have and it's been around for almost 100 years. And I have to tell you, it did not alleviate human suffering at all. As the promise was, when it came about, rather, it offered an excuse to why a person was the way they were. It also, in many cases, made the children resent their parents. It made children think, oh, it's because my parents were this way, uh, or my, my, my mother was uh, screaming, or my father was an alcoholic, and so on. Uh, as if it was proven that if they had received what they believed they needed, they would be better off. It's a myth. One may say, look, this person was abused as a child and he grew up to be an abusive parent. True or false? Or a child, a, a person who was molested as a child will molest um, as an adult. True or false? absolutely false i tell you why yes you true you will catch uh, an abuser abusive person or or some child molester and you may question him and in fact they did psychologists studied this and they discovered yes poor guys and sometimes this is given as an excuse they were molested as children but why do i say it's false look uh, it's known publicly, Oprah Winfrey told uh, one of her shows that she was uh, molested as a child. Did she become a child molester? Did she become abu an abusive person? 
No. She opened schools for, for girls who could live and thrive, support these schools. And there were many, many people who were abused as children and became uh, cops, judges, philanthropists, helping those who are mistreated. So it's, it's still what you do to every case where a person was nourished and loved and became a great and loving person, I will tell you about someone who, after having received everything and anything, turned out to be a selfish and uncaring tyrant. In fact, you know, when I came to the United States, there was a whole case, huge case. I don't know if you remember, it's 40 years ago. There was this guy who uh, in college invited uh, one of his schoolmates. Uh, he invited a female and apparently he made a pass on her and she refused. He killed her. He ate parts of her and some parts he put in the refrigerator. I don't remember how they caught him. There was a big trial. And on the trial, they read his beautiful letters to his mother, to his both parents. Um, there were letters from, from before him, what he did, telling them how grateful he was uh, for having such wonderful, caring, and loving parents, uh, how blessed he was. Now, does it mean that any person who grew up in a wonderful, loving environment, and by the way, he was the only child, uh, any person who, who grew up in such beautiful environment will become uh, a cannibal? Of course not. But this one happened to be a cannibal. And does it mean that every person who was abused will become an abuser? Of course not. So you can never know. That is why we cannot go into why things happen. Things happen. How we grew up, what happened to us definitely had an impact on us. But what we did with what we've got was our choice. Yes, it is important to identify what the patterns of our behavior are. But once we do, once we identify what the patterns are, the most important is to focus on what can be done to make permanent life changes. Okay, you may still say, uh, why are people so different? Why is one strengthened by, uh, by adversities while others are broken down? The answer is we may never know. The environment may have contributed to it, but also it may have come from your genes or from your genetically, from your ancestors, or if you believe in past lives, uh, and most spiritual traditions do, it may be that your soul was brought here with qualities of, of certain impulses from other incarnations, because in, in Judaism we call it tikkun, to correct for the correction, to refine those qualities. It's precisely why you came here with it. So if you are judgmental, for example, or arrogant, 
thank yourself for recognizing that you have these qualities. Because how, without recognizing them, how would you know what to work on? So, so anything that you identify is, is a blessing. It's wonderful to recognize without judgment. I, I, I will, I'm, God, I'm looking. Maybe it's my banana spread that carries me away. Uh, I, I did not cover, I did not even start talking about the arrogance. Uh, we'll have to talk about it um, another time. But I wanted you to know that I did not fight. I've been in practice for 40 years now, and I do not go into introspection, meaning why asking questions, why did happen, this happened and that happened. Uh, and people sometimes say, you know, I've done this in my life and this uh, in spite of, of the tough situation in my life and how my parents treated me. And I say, you say in spite and maybe thanks to. How do we know that if you had a perfect environment that you wouldn't become a selfish human being, all self-absorbed. We know people who grew up uh, and everything was given to them and they really don't care about anybody else. So how do we know? So maybe you, and, and of course, from a perspective of a, a spiritual perspective, the soul in Kabbalah, it is written, you choose the womb opening through which you come. So the soul chooses the environment genetic material, the parents, that will make it a conducive environment for a person to work on his, her issues. That's the very purpose of us coming here. So one, don't judge your parents. It doesn't mean that you have to accept garbage from people, you, or from your brothers and sisters, or from your, your parents. You have to protect yourself. You have to find a way if you're a grown person, and I'm talking now to mostly grown people, remove yourself from unfavorable situations. Just don't judge them because people are who they are. And the environment, if, you, if your life is worth anything now, you need to be grateful to your parents because they gave you a physical opportunity to come into this world and deal with whatever you need to deal with. So that is why I urge you to concentrate your energy on one thing only, learning the tools to make your life better, a better place now, without going into stories, without judging anybody, without accusing anybody. When you accuse, when you blame, you give away your power. Uh, when you take responsibility, the word responsibility, when you are responsible, it literally means able to respond, not react, not with anger, but to respond in a measured way to what feels true to you, not react to somebody. But we'll have to talk about arrogance next time. But I hope I put some foundation uh, down to why it is important to work on the tools to climb the ladder of yourself, to become the best of yourself, rather than focusing on why things are the way they are, why things happen to you. You are who you are 
people are who they are. And this is it. Now the next question, what are you going to do to get yourself to a better place? And, and that is all. God, time runs. Maybe I should eat more of that banana spread because the time runs very, very fast this time. It feels like I'm on drugs. You know, probably I, would, I need to drink a little more water because I still feel kind of foggy from this banana spread. Anyway, uh, <laughs> our time together is coming to an end. And I want to thank all of you again for being with me today. I'm looking forward to having your attention next Tuesday at 2 p.m. on PRN. Peace to all who want to live in peace.